0: Everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Sean Great. So when I think of serial killers, my mind immediately goes to the 70s, the 80s, possibly the 90s. I'll admit when I think of serial killers, I don't think of modern day serial killers. However, that is exactly what we're going to be talking about today, a modern serial killer. Because Sean Gray's serial killing spree did not come to an end until 2016. Yes, you heard that right, 2016, which I know is quite a while ago, but in my mind, that seems like a few years ago. And this makes Sean Gray one of the worst and most prolific serial killers that has been seen in recent times. And Sean Grade is just one of those people that seem to get away with everything. He is the definition of slippery. He thought that he could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And throughout his life, he was just never fully held accountable for his terrible actions. But not just that, Sean was also the worst kind of domestic abuser. He went on to have numerous girlfriends across many years and he treated them all in the most horrendous of ways. And this behavior escalated and escalated until ultimately Sean Great would become one of the worst modern day serial killers out there. So we have a lot to get through today. I know I say that a lot, but today we do actually have a lot to get through. And this man is just the worst. So be prepared to get angry today, okay? So let's dive in. Sean Great was born on the 8th of August 1976, making him a Leo. He was born in Mariam, Ohio, and I really hope that that is how you pronounce that place in Ohio, because I tried to find how to pronounce it and I couldn't find it. And Sean lived with his parents, his dad, Terry Great, and his mom, Teresa McFarland. And Sean was the youngest of three siblings. Now, growing up, Sean didn't have a functional upbringing. The relationship between Sean's parents was very toxic. It was an Environment where a lot of arguments happened. There was just always like that tension, that anger in the air, and Sean was actually neglected a lot. I don't really know what Sean's relationship was like with his dad because it wasn't really reported about, but I do know that Sean's relationship with his mom is a big source of tension. His relationship with his mom is strained, like to say the least. And his mom was not the best mom. She kind of prioritized herself over her children. She would always be partying, she would be drinking, she would take drugs and those things always came before her children. And she would also just disappear for like a weekend at a time, drinking and partying. And she would just leave her children at home and kind of leave the children to look after themselves. And I don't really know where Sean's dad fits in all of this. I don't really know if Sean's dad is at home or anything, but I do know that Sean's older sister was kind of the one that took the responsibilities on her shoulders to be the mom, to be the dad, to look after the household, to raise the kids. So Sean was essentially raised by his sister, not his mom. And Sean's sister has later on gone on and said that the household was not a loving one at all. There was no quality time spent together as a family. There was no bonding. None of them really had a relationship with each other other than the fact that they were blood related. Sean's mom also never said to Sean that she loved him. And as you can understand, Sean absolutely hated living in this environment. He did anything that he could to get attention from his parents, and he found out that the only way to get attention from his parents was to act out, to get in trouble in some kind of way, to cause chaos, because that is how his parents would show him attention they would shout at him, which Sean kind of thought, well, at least they're showing me attention because if Sean was well-behaved, he was just ignored. And Sean and his mom would argue all of the time. It is said that the relationship between the two was just a constant battle. And Sean also really struggled in school. He struggled with dyslexia. He was held back in both kindergarten and first grade. And he got teased a lot about this. He got teased that he was held back. And also around this same time, his parents also got divorced. And I think it was kind of a messy divorce. Obviously their relationship was very toxic. So Sean struggled a lot, both at school and his home life. And then when Sean was just 11 years old, his mom just got up and left. And Sean was then placed in the care of his dad. And Sean didn't have a clue that his mom was going to leave. He went to school one day thinking that it was a normal day. And when the school day finished, his mom had left. His mom had packed up all of her things and left the state and i can't even imagine how traumatic that would have been going to school thinking that you're going to return home to your mom after school but then you don't because your mom has just gotten up, left, completely left the state without even saying goodbye because she just doesn't care. So Sean, from this moment on, lives with his dad. Sean was actually pretty talented. He was a promising baseball player. However, when he was 14 years old, a tumor was found in his arm and he later had to have some of the bone from his hip removed to replace the bone in his arm. And because of all of this, he was actually never able to play baseball again. And this had a huge impact on Sean. I don't know if he wanted to be a professional baseball player. I don't even know if he was good enough to do that. But it was still a passion of his. And from this moment on, he could never play again. And this was the start of his depression. This is when it really set in. And from the age of 14, Sean turned to substances, drugs, and alcohol to cope with his depression. And I think this really does explain some of the issues that Sean has and goes on to have. Because he's still only 14 at this point remember and so far in his life he has never felt in control of his life he's always just felt like other people are making huge decisions that are impacting him even the tumor in his arm he is not in control of that he is now not able to play baseball again something that is not in his control and control is a huge thing in this case and then when he was around 16 so approximately 5 years since his mom left His mom just randomly showed up again, and she demanded for Sean to move back in with her. And Sean was just like, hang on a minute, you just upped and left without saying goodbye. You just randomly appear again and think you can pick up the role of being my mom again so quickly. And Sean refused to move back in with his mom. And since his mom had left, and especially at this point, he started to be really resentful of his mom. He started to have really hateful thoughts towards her. And he literally started to fantasize about killing his mom. And Sean actually pitied his mom because his mom was addicted to drugs and alcohol and she was always out partying. And Sean saw her as pathetic and miserable. And when he was fantasizing about killing her, he was thinking to himself, well, she's really miserable and I want to take her out of her misery. As if, if he killed her, he would be doing her a favor. Sean just wanted to have a mom. That's pretty much all he wanted. He wanted to have the mom that he thought he deserved and he wanted to feel in control of the relationship that he had with his mom. To some, Sean up, he has mommy issues, okay? And you can understand why he has mommy issues, but he decided to take that out on others, innocent people. Instead of trying to figure out his issues, maybe work through them, work through them with his mom, try and work through them in a healthy way, he decided not to do that, bottle it all up, and explode and take it out on others. And psychologists after this case have concluded that Sean's mommy issues were a big root of why he did what he did. And you will definitely see the similarities between Sean's mom and who she is and maybe some of her characteristics with the victims that he chooses. So as Sean enters his later teenage years, and we're talking about 18 years old now, another significant theme starts to emerge in his life, and that is his various relationships with different women. And as you can probably guess, Sean's relationship with women in general, but especially the women that he was seeing romantically, was not healthy. Sean has been described as a quote, charmer. He was able to charm the ladies. He had no problem getting in relationships. But Sean in these relationships was very, very abusive. He managed to put on the charm, pretend to be this really nice person to lure these women in. And then as soon as he got them, that is when the switch would flip. He has been described as a Jekyll and Hyde. And that is literally Sean. He would pretend to the outside world, to people that didn't really know him, that he was this really nice person. He would do anything for anyone. He was this charmer, good with the ladies, very friendly. But then the people that knew him and the people that were close to him, he was absolutely vile. Sean was a typical narcissistic abuser. He was very, very controlling. He was controlling both mentally and physically. He was also very manipulative. What Sean would do when he was in relationships with people is that he would completely strip them of their identity. He controlled what they wore, who they were allowed to speak to, who they were allowed to see, where they went, what kind of job they had. He pretty much controlled every single aspect of their lives. And if they ever broke up, he would stalk them. He would not leave them alone. So there was this one ex. I don't know their names, by the way. I think most of the people that are involved in this case that are still alive don't really want to be associated with this case. So I don't know many names. So there was one ex that broke up with Sean and he was stalking her, and one day she returned to her apartment, and Sean was hiding in the couch, which, first of all, how was he hiding in a couch? And she was just going around her apartment doing her everyday things, and he was in the couch watching her the whole time. How creepy is that? I cannot even imagine. That's just so creepy. And on top of everything that I've just said, Sean was also incredibly lazy. Sean basically didn't want to work didn't want to work a day in his life. And all of the women that he would be in relationships with, he would scrounge off them. He would try and get them to pay for everything. He would live in their apartments. He would just target women that he could take advantage of that did have jobs that could fund him. Sean would steal and scrounge pretty much anything that he could to get by. And when he was in his early 20s, He actually did go to prison for the very first time when he was arrested for burglary. And Sean actually did go to prison quite a few times. And we'll get onto all of his little prison visits in a moment. But it is just crazy how many times he went to prison. And he's also a serial killer and nobody knew. But something else also happened in these relationships that was pretty significant. So two of the women that he was seeing, obviously at two different times both of them had children with Sean. So Sean, at this point, he is in his early 20s. He now has two children with two different women. So the first child that he had, he actually had the child when he was 18 years old. He had the child with a girl that he met in school and he was very, very, very abusive to this girl. And he actually did get arrested on domestic violence charges. And the relationship soon came to an end after that. Now, the second woman that he had a child with, he was even worse to this woman. So he met this woman when he was 22 and she was 17. Uh Uh-huh, 17. He is disgusting. He is such a predator. He really does target vulnerable people. So when this girl was only 17 years old, this is when Sean got her pregnant and he treated this girl, and I'm gonna say girl because she is a girl. She's 17. He treated her horrendously when she was two months pregnant. So she was pregnant and Sean knew that she was pregnant. He choked her until she passed out. Now, I don't know the circumstances around this, not that it matters. I don't know if he was intending on killing her because choking people is definitely something that he likes to do. And thankfully, he did get arrested because of this, and thankfully, he did go to prison for this one. But he only went to prison for one month, Uh why? He's just choked a pregnant woman until she has passed out. He has also already been to prison on burglary charges. It's like, why is he only getting one month? And then as soon as he got out of prison, he goes to her straight away, kidnaps her, and then holds her and her sister at knife point. He was then arrested again, and he was sent to prison again. Thankfully, he did get a little bit of a longer sentence this time. He got three years, still not long enough in my opinion, but at least it's more appropriate than just one month. And then three years later, he was released from prison in January of 2003. But did he leave the mother of his second child alone? Of course he didn't. Because in October of 2003, which is like nine months after he was released, he managed to track her down because I imagine she was kind of in hiding. He then breaks into her home. He chokes her, then forces her to perform a sex act on him. Just why? Like, why won't you leave this woman alone? Like, seriously, what is your problem? Thankfully, he was re-arrested for this. But can you believe? He was not charged with sexual assault. I'm sorry, (laughs) what? He was only charged with a misdemeanor uh, domestic violence. He was only given seven months in prison and then seven months after he was back out on the streets again. It's just like why? 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 So he has already done (laughs) too much in my opinion. Like why are we allowing people like this to just walk the street? Like seriously. Sean is barely in his 20s and he has already committed so much crime. He has already ruined so many people's lives and he has two children that he does not care about. I just want to say that. So we are now in a April 2005. And thankfully, Sean does decide to leave the mother of his second child alone at this point. Thank God. And I really hope whoever she is, that she is happy and that her child is happy and they're both healthy and thriving. So it's at this point in 2005 that Sean meets another woman christina hildreth christina was recently divorced she also had two of her own children they were both young at the time and when she first met sean she was completely smitten by him like i've said a number of times sean is a charmer he manages to convince people in the beginning that he's this really good decent man and she completely fell for him christina was really struggling she had just gone through a divorce she was now raising two children and sean kind of painted this perfect picture for her. He told her that they would be together forever, that they would live in this really nice house, that there would be a family, that he would take care of her children, would take care of her. And Christina believed him. She wanted to believe him. And initially in the beginning, there were a few red flags, but they weren't huge red flags. So Christina kind of just ignored them. And something that she did notice is that Sean never opened up. Whenever she would ask about him, his personal life, his family, his friends, about his upbringing, he would just kind of clam up and change the subject. And Christina kind of thought it was weird that he never spoke about himself, but she kind of just accepted it and kind of just thought that he would open up when he wanted to. Clearly there is some kind of trauma there. Everyone opens up differently at different speeds. So Christina knew that he was holding back from her, but she kind of thought to herself... it can't be anything that bad. But oh boy was she wrong, because at this point in the story, Sean is approaching his 30s. He's just about to turn 30. And this is when the future serial killer Sean Great was about to commit his first murder, and I know your mind has probably immediately gone to his first victim being Christina, but she is not his victim, she had absolutely no idea what Sean was up to, and unknowingly to her, she would actually be sucked into this murder, and she would actually clean up the crime scene and not know it. So one day in 2005, 23-year-old mother of two, Dana Lowry, was going door-to-door selling magazine subscriptions. And on this day, she knocks on the door of Sean's mother's house. But instead of Sean's mom answering the door, Sean answered the door. Now, I don't quite know why Sean was at his mother's house because we know that their relationship is very up and down, very love-hate, but more hate. So Sean and Dana are just chatting at the door, clearly about magazine subscriptions, because I think his mom is clearly having the subscription. And then after Dana leaves, Sean becomes convinced that Dana is scamming his mom. He becomes really angry. He starts to think that Dana is screwing over his mom and he cannot allow that. So in response to this, Sean somehow manages to track Dana down. He lures her into his car, the promise that he will buy more magazines, and then he takes Dana back to the house that he is staying in. He then strangles Dana in the backyard until she becomes unconscious. He then drags her body into the house, but Dana woke up. I think Sean was pretty convinced that he had murdered Dana at this point, so he was very shocked that Dana woke up. He was very surprised. So he panicked. He thought that he had murdered Dana when he actually hadn't. And he also knew that he needed to murder Dana quickly because Christina was about to come over to his house. So he grabbed a kitchen knife and stabbed Dana in the neck. This did kill Dana instantly. Sean then wrapped Dana's body in some sheets, He dumped her on the side of a road and set her body alight. Her body would be discovered months later, but tragically, she would be unidentified. She would be a Jane Doe. Her family, her children, because remember that Dana is a mother of two, her children didn't know where she was. But we come back to when she is finally identified later on in the case. But right now, Sean has committed his first murder and gotten away with it. And I just really don't understand what happened. I really don't. We all know that Sean is not a good person. He's very violent. I think he's kind of sexually violent motivated as well. Why did he escalate to killing? Like, where did that come from? And apart from fantasizing to kill his mom, he hasn't fantasized as far as we are aware of killing anybody else. Why did this escalate so much? Dana was a stranger to him. He claims to have become so enraged because Dana was scamming his mom, which she wasn't. But Sean doesn't like his mom. So why would he care about that anyway? It doesn't really make sense. I have so many questions. Like, why did this happen? What led to this? And unfortunately, we don't really have much answers. We don't. And after Sean disposes of Dana's body, he needs to clean up the crime scene. But when he returns back to his house, Christina is already there. Like I said, he knew that she was coming over. So what does Sean do? He asks Christina to help him clean the house, which essentially was Sean asking Christina to clean up the crime scene. And we all know how lazy Sean is, so let's not pretend that Sean is actually doing anything. So Christina, because she's so scared of him at this point, she does absolutely everything that he says, she gets to cleaning the house and she's scrubbing the tiled floor. And in the grout is this thick, dark, reddish brown liquid. She doesn't know what it is. And she says to Sean, What is this substance? It is not coming off. And Sean instantly kind of clams up. He gets really uncomfortable because obviously he knows that it's blood. And Sean is acting very shifty and he says to Christina, I don't know what it is. Why am I supposed to know what it is? Would you just keep cleaning?" And Christina keeps cleaning. She keeps scrubbing at this floor, trying to get the blood out of the grouse. And I just think it's absolutely crazy that she was cleaning up his crime scene. And obviously she doesn't know. She doesn't have a clue. And I do want to stress that there wasn't a lot of blood on the floor. Because if there was a big pool of blood, I think everyone would know that that was blood. It was just like little specks here and there because Sean had done a little bit of cleanup before he had dumped Dana's body. So it wasn't like a lot of blood that Christina was cleaning up. So she just didn't have a clue. And I think that that is absolutely crazy that she was cleaning up his crime scene. She was helping him hide the evidence, clean up the evidence. But it gets worse. It really does. So after Christina has cleaned up the crime scene, Sean tells Christina that he has gotten her a gift. And Christina is like, what? You've never gotten me a gift before? This is not like you. What the hell is going on? And Sean presents Christina this gift and it is an engagement ring, and Christina is like, what? You want to get married? Where has this come from? And Christina tries the ring on, and it's huge. It does not fit her. It's literally falling off her finger, and she says to Sean, why would you get me a ring that is miles too big? Like, surely you would have known that this wouldn't have fit me, and Sean again clams up. It gets very uncomfortable, and he's just like, oh, it's my mom's ring. It's an old ring from my mom. It's passed down, Christina knows that Sean is lying because even though Christina doesn't know that much about Sean's life, she does know that he doesn't get on with his mom and his mom doesn't get on with him. And she knows that his mom would not give him a ring. But Christina just drops the subject. She knows by now that you shouldn't really press too hard when it comes to Sean because he gets very angry. And when he's angry, he is violent. But she was right to be suspicious of him because Sean did not get that ring from his mom. Sean stole that ring from Dana's hand. That ring was Sean's trophy and I just think it's so sick that he gave it to Christina, wanting her to wear it every single day so he could see it, so then he could relive what he had done. So after Sean had gotten away with his first murder, his relationship with Christina would actually go on for a very long time. They would actually be together for five years, which is a pretty long-term relationship for Sean. But those five years for Christina were a living nightmare. But Christina has said That over the course of their relationship, Sean became an extremely paranoid person. He was always like twitching at the curtains, thinking that people were spying on him. He always thought that people were after him, people were going to come and get him. And Christina, at the time, couldn't work out why he was so paranoid all the time, why he did think that people were after him. But obviously... In hindsight, we all know now that he was worried he was going to get caught for the first murder. But as his paranoia grew, because it did over those five years, it slowly got worse and worse. As his paranoia grew, so did his rage. He was becoming a lot more violent towards Christina. And he was already a violent person to begin with, and he was only getting worse. And he really did just beat down Christina emotionally and physically. He literally took everything away from her. He dictated to Christina, everything what she could do what she could wear who she could see she was only ever allowed to leave the house when it was for work or going to the grocery store he even made christina give up her children and make her own children live with her sister he completely isolated her from all of her friends all of her family she literally had no one to turn to and this is literally textbook abuser everything that I've described here is just the psychological abuse he was physically violent to her as well he was verbally abusive. And Sean liked to use violence as a form of control to dictate his authority over people. But it wasn't just all about that. Sean actually liked inflicting pain on others. He got an enjoyment from seeing fear in their eyes. And something that Sean liked to do was take photos. He liked to take a lot of photos. And after he'd beaten up Christina, he would take photos of her injuries, to document what had happened and so he could relive what he had done. Again, this is like his trophy. And this is what their relationship was like for five years. It was a living nightmare for Christina. But after being with Sean for five years, she finally gathered the strength to leave. She thought, I've had enough of this. I don't deserve this. And she decided to leave Sean. But did he make it easy for her? Of course not. Sean gave her the worst beating he had ever inflicted on her. He was repeatedly punching her, kicking her. He was dragging her around the house by her hair. He was pinning her on the ground and repeatedly hitting her. She suffered absolutely terrible injuries. She had fractured her hand. And after the beating was over, Sean actually showed a little, tiny little smidging of remorse and actually took her to the hospital. And when she was seen by the nurse, the nurse was just like, how did all of this happen? And Christina said, that she had fallen over. But the nurse knew that this was a lie. Christina hadn't just fallen over. You don't get those kinds of injuries from just falling over. So when Sean eventually left the room, the nurse said to Christina, did he do this to you? And Christina nodded. And the hospital immediately called the police. But the hospital made a huge mistake. And I don't know why they did this, but they announced it on the, what is that called? intercom they announced that the police were there for a sean great why would they do that so sean obviously heard that and made a run for it and the police had no way of tracking him down they didn't They didn't know where he was which is the last thing that christina wants to hear because she knew that sean would know that it was her that turned him in and christina knows exactly the kind of person that sean is she knows that he would want revenge for this so christina eventually after she's been seen to leaves the hospital and returns home and she's currently sharing a home with sean at this point so she's obviously terrified to return home But when she does return home, Sean is not there and she's thinking, thank God, thank God he's not here. I can pack my things and get out of this house. But unfortunately, Sean is in the house. He's just hiding and he's hiding in the couch. Seriously, what is with this man hiding in couches? I've never even heard of this before. It's not exactly an easy place to hide. And Sean bursts out of the couch and he's holding a hammer. At pretty much the exact same time, there is a knock on the door. And it is a police officer coming to check on Christina. And Sean says to her that if she opens the door, if she lets them in, He will kill her. So Christina goes to the door and she kind of talks through the door and she says, I'm fine. Sean's not here. Everything is okay. You can leave. And the police officer leaves. Now, thankfully, Christina was able to defuse the situation, thank God, and she was able to calm Sean down. And at some point, she manages to escape the house and run to the nearest police station and report Sean again. And thankfully, Sean did not get away this time, and he was arrested and sent to prison. And Christina had finally gotten away from Sean. Great. But Sean again gets off with a very Very short prison sentence. He only goes to prison for six months. So when Sean gets out of prison for this next time, this is when we are entering the period where he is about to become the serial killer that he becomes. So first of all, he gets married. He actually gets married this time. And this is when Sean has his third child with his wife. And Sean is the exact same to this woman as well. He is a very abusive person. He's very violent. He's very angry. And thankfully, the marriage does break down pretty quickly. It breaks down after a few months. And the woman and the child manage to get away from Sean relatively quickly. And over the next few years following this marriage, he just drifts around. He squats in a few places and he goes from woman to woman, taking advantage of them, taking everything that he can from them. He's just trying to get people to look after him and pay for him, essentially. Sean was actually known to hang around apartment blocks looking for any single women that he could charm and convince them to let him live with them. He is literally the definition of a scrounger. Also at this point, Sean is being chased for child support payments that he is not paying. He currently owes his ex-wife, so the mother of his third child, $5,000. And then he also owes $34,000 for child support of his earlier two children. So Sean is in a lot of debt and he is not paying for his children. He has not put a single penny towards those children. He does not care. So like I said, things go on like this for a few years. And now we get to 2015, which is 10 years after the first murder. I know, can you believe that he's managed to get away with it? I mean, Sean is not very intelligent, he's not. He's not one of these really intelligent criminals where you can understand how they got away with it. And the only reason why he's been able to get away with this murder is because right now, Dana is still unidentified. So because they don't know who she is, they have no way of tracing her back to Sean. And I do wonder, If they knew her identity, would they be able to link it back to Sean? Because obviously she was a door-to-door salesperson with the magazine subscriptions. Would they have been able to put two and two together and thought, hmm, that person who has been in and out of prison quite a few times and is very violent, his mom lives there. Could he have something to do with it? I do wonder. And like I said in the very beginning of this video, he is literally the definition of slippery. He just seems to be able to get away with everything. And I know he's been to prison quite a few times, but let's be realistic. He hasn't gone to prison for long enough all of his sentences have been too short. So I can only assume that at this point, Sean felt pretty invincible. And Sean actually does have a pretty big God complex. And I don't actually know the exact reasoning behind Sean becoming a serial killer, but I can only imagine it was the thrill of it and the control that he got from it. Because like I said earlier, all he ever wanted was control. But when he murders someone, he is in control. He is in control of how they are murdered, when they are murdered. He is in control of their life. He really is playing God with their life. And this is unfortunately when we get to the point of the case where Sean does become a full-blown serial killer 10 years after his first murder. In March of 2015, this is when Sean meets a woman, Rebecca Lacey. Rebecca was a sex worker and Sean had befriended her when she was just working on the streets. However, one day Sean accused Rebecca of stealing four dollars from him, which she hadn't. And in response to this, Sean strangled Rebecca to death. Sean then dumped her body in a nearby woodland area and Rebecca's body was found relatively quickly but her death was ruled an accident. It was ruled as a drug overdose and an investigation never happened and Sean Gray has just gone away with his second murder. And it just really annoys me and angers me that her death was ruled as an overdose. I just feel like they found out she was a sex worker. She may have had some problems with drugs. They put two and two together and just thought, ah, eh, it was a drug overdose. We don't care. And then a year passes. So that is a pretty long cool down period, not as long as 10 years. But in early 2016, this is when Sean meets a woman, Candice Cunningham. Candice was 29 years old. She was Currently, going through a very difficult spell in her life. She was struggling with a drug addiction and she had recently had two children taken off her by cps and this is when sean entered her life now sean actually entered into a relationship with candice which is definitely unusual because she is the only victim of his where there was some sort of relationship before he murdered her now both of them as far as i'm aware didn't have jobs so they didn't have any money or they didn't have much money and they both ended up squatting in an abandoned house now sean was filling candice's head With so many lies, he was telling her that they were going to be together forever, that he would help her through all of her struggles, they would get her children back. But over the course of their relatively short relationship, Candice's drug addiction was getting worse and worse, and Sean was seeing this, and he took pity on her. He thought that she was pathetic, and he thought that the best course of action would be to take her out of her misery. So tragically, in June of 2016, Sean strangled Candice to death. To cover up his tracks for this murder, he then set the abandoned house on fire to cover up any evidence, which completely burnt Candice's body. But then he went back to the house and he then moved her body and dumped her body in a nearby woodland area. The fire of the abandoned house and the disappearance of Candice neither one of them were investigated. Sean Gray had now gotten away with his third murder. And I don't know if you'll be able to see the similarities between his mom and the victims that he is choosing. The victims that he is choosing are very vulnerable women. They are sex workers, drug addicts. He even said that he wanted to take Candice out of her misery. And those were the exact words that he used for his mom when he was fantasizing about killing his mom. He also seemed to like to target mothers. I don't know if you've noticed that, but Dana was a mother. Candice was a mother. Rebecca was a mother. So now we get to August 2016. This is just two months after the murder of Candice. And this is when Sean moves into another house, which is the house 363 Cover Court in Ashland, Ohio. Now this is is significant because this would be the house that became known as Sean's House of Horrors. In this house is where Sean would commit his final murders. So like I said, this is only two months after the murder of Candice, so the cooldown period is getting shorter and shorter. And it was around this time in August that Sean starts to attend his local church quite frequently because that is something that I haven't really had time to touch on. But Sean claims that he's very religious. Mm -hmm. Sure. This is where he meets a very vulnerable woman called Elizabeth Griffith. Now, Elizabeth has been described as childlike. She was very trusting. She was extremely vulnerable. She was very naive. And Sean could see that and targeted her as his next victim. Elizabeth was only 29 years old and she had become estranged from her family, and also currently she was suffering from a number of different mental health issues. Sean claims to have taken pity on Elizabeth, so he invites her back to his house. Now I don't know why he took pity on her, I don't know. She was doing perfectly fine without him, but Elizabeth was very trusting and she was always looking for friends. She was always looking for somebody to hang out with, so she said yes. wanted to go back to Sean's house. But tragically, as soon as Elizabeth steps foot in that house, Sean begins to strangle her. Sean has later claimed that he wanted to see if Elizabeth would beg for her life. And if she didn't, he would take her out of her misery. Sean continued to choke Elizabeth. And he told Elizabeth that if she wanted to live he would stop. But because she didn't say anything, this is when Sean took it upon himself to think, right, okay, Elizabeth clearly wants to die and I will take her out of her misery. It's just so sick. It's like, maybe she didn't say anything, Sean, because you were strangling her and she couldn't. This is what I mean when I say he has a God complex. He is literally taking it upon himself to decide whether people should live or die. And after he murdered Elizabeth, he shoved her body into a closet in the abandoned house, and he covered her body with random things, just random things that he found around the house. He shut the closet and sealed the closet with duct tape. No one came looking for Elizabeth, so Sean has now gotten away with his fourth murder. Sean, at this point, has no intention of slowing down. The cooldown period is still getting shorter and shorter. Because just a few weeks later, he meets his fifth victim, and this was a 43-year-old woman Stacy Stanley. On the 8th of September she had gotten a flat tire and she had pulled into a gas station and this is when Sean met her and Sean offered to help her change her tire. Stacy was so grateful that Sean had helped her change her tire but she said what can I do in return? Like seriously I want to pay you back and Sean said to her all I want is a lift home. So this is what Stacy did. Stacy drove Sean home. Now we all know that Sean can turn on the charm and this is what he did with Stacy, and somehow he managed to charm her into going into the house. He then proceeded to rape Stacy, and then he strangled her to death. He then dragged her body into the basement of the abandoned house and just covered her body again with random things that he found. Stacy's family did report her missing on the day that she went missing. However, they had no way of linking Stacy to Sean because they were strangers. And clearly there was no CCTV footage of Stacy talking to Sean at the gas station, because if there was, then they possibly would have been able to link her to Sean. But now Sean has just gotten away with his fifth murder. Again, the victimology is very similar. The women that he is choosing are either vulnerable in general or in a vulnerable position. For example, being stranded at a gas station with a flat tire. Stacy was also a mother. He does like to target mothers. Stacy was a loving mother of two. Again, with Elizabeth, he wanted to take her out of her misery. There are so many similarities in the victims that he is choosing to what is reminding him of his own mom. And things are escalating so much right now. We have first had a 10-year gap between his first and second murder. Then there was a year gap. Then there was two months. Now there is only three weeks. It seems like he's heading down a path where he's going to be committing murders every single week, but thankfully that doesn't happen because thankfully things start to come crashing down and this is when he meets his next victim which he abducts this woman and this woman is just known as Jane Doe. She does not want her identity out there. I don't know what her identity is, not that I would say it anyway, but she doesn't want to be associated with this case so we just know her as Jane Doe. Now he meets Jane at the local church, the same place where he met Elizabeth. Now Jane was a very religious woman and apparently this is what Sean like, about her. Now, Sean has claimed that he took a liking to Jane. He actually wanted a relationship with Jane. He said that they shared similar values and he liked that about her. So he made his advances, but Jane wasn't interested. Now, Sean did not take this well at all. Remember, he thinks he's God's gift to women, so why would anyone reject him? So Sean decided, okay, I'm going to play this differently. And he said to Jane that. The He just wants to be friends. And this is exactly what Sean did. It's almost like he was playing the long game with Jane. They went on long walks, they bonded, they had lunch together, they would discuss the Bible, they would read the Bible together, and they do become friends. And this is when Sean invites Jane over to his house of Horace. He said to her, come over to my house, we'll read the Bible. Now Jane doesn't find this suspicious at all because this is her friend. You've got to remember that he has befriended her. Jane just thinks that her friend from church is inviting her over to read the Bible. She doesn't think that this is suspicious at all. So she agrees to go over. So on the 10th of September, 2016, Jane goes over to Sean's house. But as soon as she enters the house, Sean's demeanor completely changes, because so far she has only seen the charming side of Sean, and he told her that she wasn't going anywhere and Sean then held her, abducted her, for the next three days. For those three days that Jane is being held captive, she is repeatedly beaten and sexually assaulted in quote every way imaginable. Sean tied her up in weird positions. She was pumped with pills. He put duct tape over her mouth. She was starved for the whole three days. He would also strangle her if she ever attempted to break free. And then for pretty much every waking hour over those three days jane was sexually abused and sean would film the whole thing he would take pictures these were his trophies so he could relive them and it's just like oh my god he is escalating he is spiraling he is losing control not only are the murders becoming more frequent, but the way he is murdering women, the way that he is abusing them, being violent towards them, that is also escalating. It is getting more extreme. It's like he has to keep going further and further each time to chase that high. And this is also a complete change in MO for Sean as well. Usually he murders his victims straight away and he decided to hold Jane captive so he could sexually assault her repeatedly. Sean would later to go on and say that his intention was never to kill jane like i mentioned he actually liked jane even though i don't think he's capable of liking somebody or having genuine romantic feelings for anyone but this is what he claims apparently he just wanted to hold her captive that is all he wanted to do but this would actually be his downfall because after three days of being held captive jane managed to break free of the rope that was binding her hands and her feet and she managed to reach sean's phone And she dialed nine one one. Nine one one? What is the address of your emergency? Um, Fourth Street Barryman. I've been abducted. Who abducted you? Sean, great. Where's he at now? Asleep. I'm in the bedroom with him. Is there any way you can get out of the building? I don't know, without waking him. I'm scared. And I have got to say, I have never felt so tense, so scared listening to a 911 call. And I will be inserting a few clips of the 911 call, but I can't insert it all because it's like 15 minutes long, but the whole thing is available on YouTube. So go listen to the whole 911 call and all oh, my god, it will send shivers down your spine. On the call, Jane tells the dispatcher that she has been abducted by a man called Sean Great, but she doesn't know where she is. All she knows is is that the house is by a laundromat. And whilst Jane is on the phone to the dispatcher, she is having to whisper because Sean is right next to her asleep and obviously she cannot wake him up. Oh my god, I've never been more terrified listening to a 911 call. I cannot even imagine how scared Jane would be because if Sean woke up and saw her on the phone, we all know that he is going to murder her and he will murder her quicker than police can get there. And Jane is desperately pleading on the phone for them to send officers out for them to come quickly. No. I mean she is literally in a life or death situation right now. And then possibly the most tense part of the whole phone call is that Sean starts to stir. He kind of wakes up a little bit and Jane has to put the phone down. Oh, shit. Oh, no. She has to put the phone down, and the phone is silent for about four minutes whilst she's waiting for Sean to drift off back to sleep. And thankfully, he does go back to sleep. And this whole time, officers are trying to chat down where Jane is because obviously they don't know the exact address. And then one of the officers looks up at a window in a house and he sees Jane's hand on the window and he knows this is the house. Oh, 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 hurry up, hurry up. Get and the officers go in, rescue Jane, and arrest Sean. Great. So after he is arrested, he is taken to the police station where he now gives his pretty infamous interview. Because when the police started questioning Sean, they thought they were just questioning him over the abduction of Jane. They were not aware that he is a serial killer. So first of all, the police start asking him about Jane. Why did you do this? Why did you abduct her? Yeah, we ended up sex against her will. Well. It ended up she didn't like it and she was really beating herself up about it. Mm-hmm. And Sean starts to laugh and joke. And he says, oh, it was the only way I could get her to spend a few days with me. And it's like, seriously, he's such a dickhead. And then the detective suddenly changes tactics. And he asks Sean, do you know anything about another woman that has disappeared recently? Elizabeth Griffith. Now, the patrol guys are saying, do you know Elizabeth? Now, the detective has probably linked Elizabeth and Jane together because they both attended the same church. And they also now know that Sean attended that church as well. And as soon as the officer asks Sean about Elizabeth, they saw the guilt written all over his face. It kind of makes me wonder if you didn't have something to do with her being missing. you me know where at. I I could help. The police are currently trying to get a search warrant to search sean's abandoned home um i don't even know if they would actually need a search warrant because the house doesn't belong to him but i don't know if they know that right now and sean knows that it's only a matter of time before the police find the bodies themselves so sean finally cracks and he tells them that they will find elizabeth's body in the closet i'm looking for elizabeth's body where i came from yeah there's somebody in there who yeah. is it? Is it Elizabeth? Where is she in there? In the closet? In the closet? Now, at this point in the interview, Sean makes it pretty clear that he is terrified of the death penalty. So Sean thinks to himself, maybe if I cooperate with the whole investigation, I will avoid the death penalty. And this is when he also revealed that they would find Stacey's body in the basement. Are there any other girls in the house right now? Yeah? She just led me on to the point of there was no stopping her, and it really irritated me. I don't know, Through everything else. I just snapped on. What's her name? Stacy. And then over the next few hours, he confesses to all five murders, gives all the details to everything. He confessed to the murder of Elizabeth Griffith, Stacy Stanley, Candice Cunningham. Rebecca Lacey, also of Dana Lowry, who he murdered in 2005, who is currently still an unidentified woman. And the police were shocked. They were not expecting him to be a serial killer. But Sean gave the exact location of all of the bodies. And obviously, they have already located Elizabeth and Stacey in the abandoned house. Next, they located Candice Cunningham's body, who was in the woodland area next to the other abandoned house. The <laughs> that Sean had burnt down. When it came to Rebecca Lacey, her body was found and identified, but remember, they ruled her death as an accident, as an overdose. But because Sean was able to tell the police exactly where Rebecca's body was, this was enough for the police to charge him for her murder as well. But when it came to Dana Lowry, Sean said that he didn't actually know her name. But because of his confession, because he knew exactly where her body was, the police knew that Sean was responsible for her murder, but they still needed to identify her. And it took a further three years for Dana to finally be identified. She wasn't identified until 2019. And this was 14 years after she was murdered. Remember, she is a mother. She had two children. Her two children had to go 14 years without knowing where their mother was, what happened to her. And following the police interview and Sean's confession, as soon as the media got onto this story, they went crazy. He is 40-year-old Sean M. Great, arrested Wednesday after this harrowing 911 call from a woman tied up inside this abandoned Ohio house. And obviously, this was shocking news. It was shocking that Sean was able to murder five women and he wasn't caught until 2016. And infuriatingly, Sean is one of those murderers that loves The spotlight. He was loving all of the media attention that he got. He agreed to multiple interviews. He was doing everything that he could. He wanted people to know who he was, what he had done. And when he did these interviews, you can see it in his face. He is so happy. He is loving life doing these interviews. He's basically bragging about what he's done. There is even one uh, interview that he did. And you can also see this on YouTube, where he is demonstrating how he strangled and Murdered five women. Elizabeth, right? It's was kind of shocking, right? I was just joking. We were just joking, like, how she wished she kind of would die, you know what I mean? I was like, so, so I'm all healthy. I'll help you. i just go like this, you know what I mean? Like, i sure, forward and yeah. up at the same time. Right. And she kind of just, like, wagged my hands and, like, started flipping out and stuff like that to the point where I had to just, like, grab her and I just would lean forward and just press. And in the end, because Sean literally could not stop talking about himself, he could not stop accepting interviews, he was given a gag order. And this banned him from talking to journalists. And I think that that was a good thing. We do not need to hear any more from this man. Mm -mm, He has spoken too much. And then finally, in 2018, it was Sean's trial. Now, he pleaded not guilty. And his defense was by reason of insanity, which is just crazy. No one. Mm-mm. No one is ever going to believe that Sean Great is insane. He is very competent. And no one bought this defense. No one did. Because he was so open, so honest about what he had done in his confession, giving all of the details because he was so forthcoming. And just his behavior since the police interview as well. The fact that he was essentially bragging to journalists about what he's done. The jury saw straight through this, and Sean Great was found guilty on his first two counts of murder. And his punishment, was the death penalty, which is exactly what Sean did not want, which is exactly what he was most terrified of. And if that is not karma, I don't know what is. Then in March of 2019, Sean pleaded guilty to the murder of Rebecca and Candice and in return he was handed two life sentences and then Dana Lowry was identified. So he was also charged with her murder and again given a life sentence for her murder as well. And to this day, Sean Great still remains on death row and currently his execution date is the 19th of March 2025. And that was the case of Sean Great. of the worst and most prolific serial killers in modern times. And I think it's quite clear that all of this was down to his relationship with his mom. The fact that he had mommy issues because, like I've pointed out multiple times, a lot of the victims, they portrayed aspects, characteristics of his own mother. But regardless, he has mommy issues okay. You don't take that out on innocent, people. I also think that it comes down to a control thing as well. I think he liked to control people and murder, he felt, was the ultimate control. And there are so many people that he has destroyed. Not only the victims who were five murder victims, also Jane, his numerous girlfriends that he has destroyed their lives of. He also has three children of his own, but most of his victims also had children. Dana Lowry was a mother to two young children, and even though those children were not currently in her life, she would speak to them all the time on the phone. Just one random day in 2005, Dana went missing, and her young children would never hear about their mother again. They would have no idea what had happened to her until 14 years later when it was finally revealed that Sean Great had taken her life. She was only 23 years old. Rebecca Lacey was described as a kind and caring person. She enjoyed fishing, camping and spending time with her three Children. She was only 31 years old. Candice Cunningham was described as a loving and caring person. She was a mother of two young children, and her mom said that she should have had so many more happy years to live. She was only 29 years old. Elizabeth Griffith was described as outgoing and friendly, and she loved spending time at church. She was always happy, always singing, always friendly, and would constantly go out of her way to help others in the community she was only 29 years old. And finally, Stacy Stanley was described as a loving mother and devoted grandmother. She loved to cook, spend time with family, and she would do anything to help others. And she loved making people in her life happy. She was only 43 years old. And obviously, we also have Jane Doe that went through three days of just unimaginable torture. And who knows? There may be more victims out there that we don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't necessarily mean more murder victims. There are so many women that he came into contact with. And I think we're going to end this here. Like, I just don't have anything more to say about Sean. He just makes me so angry. And there are no updates on the case of Sean Great, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup, and if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.